Let's talk dollars and cents on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Johnny, and this is Pushback. Thank you for joining me for another episode this week. I just finished a whole series on the critical race theory, and I sure appreciate your responses to that and your honoring comments uh, to me. And I'll be interested to hear more dialogue and your feedback as that topic continues to be in the forefront of the headlines and and conversation both locally and nationally. Uh, So I just thank you for uh, connecting with me about that. I'm going on a little bit of a departure today something that's just been on my mind after reading a few articles uh, this week and considering doing my taxes pretty soon. If you're listening to this, that's coming whether you like it or not. Uh, my appointment is February 28th, and uh, or it's the 24th. Uh, I'll need to look that up. Uh, one of those days um, coming up next week. So I need to uh, start paying attention to that. Uh, but it made me starting to think about taxes and our government and and a topic that's not often talked about, especially in Christian circles. Certainly it's talked about a little in political circles, but not as much as it should be. Uh, and, and that's the discussion about our national debt. You know, I remember, um, for those of you who are as old as I am, hi, Chuck and Steph, my friends, uh, you remember um, Schoolhouse Rock, you remember, I remember even back then there was one that was called Tyrannosaurus Debt. <laughs> and and that was, well, you can do the math, you know, that was 40 plus years ago. Um, <laughs> and that was still an issue back then. Uh, could you imagine what the Tyrannosaurus looks like today? Um, so let me just give you some baseline facts and information about our current national debt. If you are looking for an adrenaline rush and you're looking for something to get your heart rate up and perhaps uh, provoke some anxiety, um, I would encourage you to go to the U.S. Debt Clock, usdebtclock.org, usdebtclock.org. It is a website that shows the national debt in real time and it spins as the number is increasing and it actually provokes sort of this panic feeling. So I don't recommend sitting and watching it for very long because it takes away all of your faith. (laughs) So, so do it with a, um, uh, a short mindset uh, that you'll just maybe glance at it, just get an appreciation of it. Although as a U.S. citizen, I think it's important that we all do see it. And I think that's the point of this podcast is that we need to see it as U.S. citizens. We need to know what is going on. It often becomes sort of this campaign talking point um, and often is brought up very briefly in the debates, but it's interesting as it becomes more uncomfortable, uh, as it becomes um, larger 
and uh, harder to maintain even a conversation, I'm finding that it's actually being talked about less and less, interestingly, even though it's never been such a problem as it is today. So if you go to usdebtclock.org, which I did, uh, and you looked up the U.S. national debt, it is currently at a staggering $30 trillion of debt. 30 trillion. I remember not so long ago when we crossed that 20 trillion threshold, I just felt like that was just a few years back. Um, if you were to um, calculate all of the American citizens and you had them each pay their portion of the debt so that the debt would go down to zero. No, this includes all children, babies, everybody who is a U.S. citizen. It would be $90,288 every U.S. citizen would have to pay to eliminate that debt. Now, if you just limited that to taxpayers, because most babies don't have the ability to pay uh, any of that, uh, the debt per taxpayer is $239,808. That's what we have gotten ourselves into as a country um, over time. But most, and I'll give you some data on this, most notably over about the last 10 to 20 years. Now, when we look at actual budget items, like what are the things that are causing us to have such huge expenditures? Well, Medicare, Medicaid accounts for $1.2 trillion of our spending. Social Security, which is interesting because I wouldn't even categorize that as a major category because that's actually taxed separately. All of us who get our Social Security pulled out of our check, we know that's a separate fund. And yet that's $1.1 trillion that is actually counted onto the deficit. And in comparison, the next is, the third thing is defense spending, which is a meager $721 billion. $721 billion. So it shows how, hard, how big these entitlement programs have become. So you may ask yourself, who are we in debt to? Well, foreign governments have purchased U.S. treasuries, and these governments include China, Japan, Brazil, Ireland, and the U.K., and others. China represents 29% of all treasuries issued to other countries, which corresponds to $1.18 trillion. So when we look at this, and this has become a talking point when these politicians stand up and make all of these promises that we have to decide whether we want to borrow money from China to pay for it. And I believe that needs to be the center point of our conversations when we talk about any kind of program entitlement spending that the politicians do that are above budget. Now, the last time the U.S., just a fun fact, the last time the U.S. paid off all of its debt I'll give you a little drum roll to make a guess if you're listening to this. You can put in your guess. What year was it when the U.S. paid off all its debt? The answer is 1835. <laughs> 1835. That seems like a long time ago. Um, over the course of U.S. history, the national debt has averaged 31% of the nation's GDP. Now, that's, those are big numbers that are hard to get our mind around. Um, but for comparison's sake, so let's say 31% of the nation's GDP goes towards national debt. 
In May of 2020, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the national national debt reached 120% of GDP. That's in comparison of 31%. Breaking a record set in 1946 for the highest level in the U.S. history of the United States, which happened to be World War II. The previous record of 118% stemmed from World War II, the deadliest and most widespread conflict in world history. So COVID even smashed that spending. Balanced against the value of its commercial assets, the federal government has a combined total. So this includes entitlements, debts, liabilities, unfunded obligations, a combined total of $114 trillion. My friends, these numbers are staggering. And the question is, how did we get here? And what can we do to help? You know, my program is pushback. And and so my heart isn't just to say the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and and sound the alarms. At the same token, the the balance of the health of our economy and the balance thereof in our health of our nation is at stake. You know, it's interesting, then-Senator Obama, I think it was back in 2006, had many comments about the national debt. And he was talking to the current sitting president. He said, Mr. President, I rise today to talk about America's debt problem. The fact that we are here today to debate raising America's debt limit is a sign of a leadership failure. It is a sign that the U.S. government can't pay its own bills. And I think it's important as we have this discussion that we think about this uh, in very simple terms, like you think about your debt, about your budget, about the way you handle your finances. Think of your own budget or or lack thereof uh, for some of us. And it's a simple income versus expenditure equation. This isn't complicated. This is spending more money than we have. It's that simple. And Barack Obama went on to say that the proposal to add trillions of dollars to the national debt is immoral. He also used words like irresponsible and even unpatriotic. These are the words of a Barack Obama. And then history will show, if that's true, if he actually believed that, that Barack Obama then was the most immoral president of them all. Now, that's a big statement to say. I'm using his own words against him because once he became President Obama, it's funny how things politically change and our attitudes look different. Can I just go through some of the spending of our most recent presidents? Now, I am fully confident that Joe Biden is going to blow these records away based on spending. Now, you could argue this is a COVID-19 pandemic and we have no choice, but I would argue back that we always have a choice. We always have a choice to put things on our credit card or not. And we can debate whether this was justified or not. But I don't have the full data on Joe Biden, but he's doing quite well in spending. And I'm confident that it will be staggering. Based on what we just read 
it'll be World War II type numbers or greater. Donald Trump raised the deficit by $6.7 trillion. We are an equal opportunity pushbackers here on this program, right? The Republicans are very much to blame as much as the Democrats. But Barack Obama did beat that mark by raising the debt $8.6 trillion, the biggest number per date per president. George W. Bush raised it $5.8 trillion. Clinton, a meager $1.4 trillion. George H.W. Bush, $1.5 trillion. Reagan, $1.8 trillion. And then President Carter, $299 billion. And then we go back into the low billions, not too far from there. So there was a spike that took place right around the Bush-Clinton presidency and then has skyrocketed over the last three administrations. Why has this happened? And why can't there be something done about it? Even Donald Trump was touting that this is a problem, that he was going to balance the budget and and have us be more fiscally responsible. And he became one of the highest spenders, despite not having a recession and maybe just the beginning of the pandemic. Well, a clear and obvious answer is a bloated government. The government is so big that its spending has become so out of control that it's hard to even fathom the amount of expenditure and finance that it takes just to simply run it. And there's been so many presidential candidates that have talked about gutting the government and getting down to the bare bones and getting down to what it was actually created to be in the first place, which was supposed to help with infrastructure and defense. And, and the state governments were supposed to be much stronger But it's become quite the opposite, and the U.S. government now has become the main and controlling entity. And they spend so much more than they could ever bring in. So it's a combination of bloated government and excessive spending. Now, people always tout, well, if you go into the government and you start gutting out the government and ending programs and and putting an end to the Department of Education and all of these things, that there will be, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs lost. Well, my friends, you can't actually try to look at the problem with another problem. The problem is, is that we hired too many people to run these jobs in the first place and the government became too big. And the only way to solve that problem is to downsize. And it's going to be painful and people, yes, will lose their their jobs. It's easy for me to say behind a microphone in the middle of the state of Minnesota. I get that. But, But the understanding that, well, we have to continue this bloated spending and spend more money that we have with the concern that some people are going to lose their jobs is a ridiculous argument. And there is some consideration to what would happen to the American economy if we quickly paid off the debt instantly. I, I get that. But there is absolute wisdom to balancing a budget. It has been touted so often to pass a balanced budget amendment like it would be against the Constitution to actually spend more money than you bring in. And not only is that not going forward, uh, every year there's a continued um, uh, bill being passed to raise the debt ceiling every single time because we're throwing up our hands and saying, what do we do? And the only thing that can be done is strong leadership, as Barack Obama said, that would move in and decrease spending. I think the other thing that's contributed over these last three administrations is what I call extreme politics. Extreme 
politics. It's about promising and spending and and essentially buying votes and what I call self-preservation, meaning as soon as someone gets into office, they do what they have to do to maintain the office. A president that becomes a one-term president, the goal is to become a a second-term president. And the only way to do that is to make um, outlandish promises and to spend and have people appreciate and feel what you are doing. So we get checks in the mail during a COVID pandemic and we feel maybe a little bit better about ourselves and better about the administration, but with no consideration of what it does to our economy or to our debt. It's immoral and it's about self-preservation. See, less spending and higher taxes doesn't sell well for politicians. Sometimes they'll say it or they'll allude to it but they don't actually do it. And if they do raise taxes, it's so that they can spend more, not so that they can cut back on our deficit. And so what has happened and how it happens is that the government overreaches. It becomes more than what it was created to actually be and to do. And that is, my friends, the cultural piece that has actually happened in our country. The government has actually had to pick up what actually doesn't belong to them. And so they are overreaching. According to the U.S. Government Accountability Office, I thought this was an interesting quote. It's the oversight agency of Congress. As sort of an excuse for overspending, it says the federal government, quote, undertakes a wide range of programs, responsibilities, and activities that may explicitly or implicitly expose it to future spending. What it's saying is, in summary, eh, the government is in charge of a lot of things, and so we're going to have to spend a lot of money, and that's just the way it is. But my friends, I just got done telling you that the greatest expenditures in our budget is Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I believe who is equally culpable to our current financial crisis is the church itself. Now you might be saying, wait a minute now, this is a government decision, government budget. They are the ones that are solely responsible. But I believe that the church was created for this purpose. The Bible says the church was created for the sick, the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Huh. See, when we look at what the government is spending its money on and the huge majority of its spending is on the sick and the poor and the widow and the orphan, I believe the government has picked up something that doesn't belong to them because the church has set down something that does belong to them. The church is supposed to be the storehouse. The storehouse of what? Of resources and yes, even money. I don't believe the church was ever meant to be denominational. And when you read your Bible, you'll find out that the church was actually regional. The church at Corinth. (laughs) The church at Ephesus. These were these books written to these regional churches who took responsibility for their region. What would that look like? But unfortunately, I believe the church has become involuted. It has become selfish. It has become suspicious. And it has become isolated. 
Let me go through those again. It has become involuted, meaning it's just taking care of its own. I call it a country club mentality where the church has 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 become so inwardly focused that we just take care of our, our ours and we have programs to prove it. It has become selfish because it has taken its resources only for its members and for its people and have actually ignored its mandate, which is its region. It has become suspicious of government and anybody outside of the church so that they refuse to actually touch anybody outside the church, whereas Jesus himself actually went to the, to the tax collectors and the harlots and the leper and actually injected himself um, into those communities to actually bring real change. And it's become isolated has become removed from the conversation of the culture of our country where it was created to be the hub of the wheel, the essential piece of the culture of our country. This whole notion of separation of church and state is not a constitutional truth, by the way, but no one has bought into this more. No one has bought more into this non-constitutional idea than the church itself and has removed itself from having any impact on the state itself. What would it look like? And I would love to run the numbers and any of you out there that are mathematical geniuses. What if we just took the 10% tithe and what if the church grew and the United States citizens went back to its Christian roots and, and became and entered into church and tithe 10% brought those to the storehouse. How much money could the church actually inject locally into the region to which it belongs? And that church would, would not be marred by any bureaucracy or corruption. It could just go to the pure, um, point of taking care of the sick and the poor, the widow, the orphan, the elderly. What would it look like if church leaders actually sat down with mayors and asked them how they can help, not only with manpower and prayer, but fiscally? Does the church want to be relevant in our culture? Then my answer is be relevant. Put your money where your mouth is. This podcast is entitled Dollars and Cents, S-E-N-S-E, trying to make sense out of money and why we were given it in the first place. It's to sow and to pour into the people that we love and the people who are in our realm of influence. Now, you might say that's just too pie in the sky, Dr. Johnny, this idea that the church could actually create sort of a fiscal revolution and actually become so relevant. You know, you can't be more relevant than if you actually become responsible for some of the things in our, in our community. If it's too pie in the sky, then I would say get involved in politics. If you think politics is the answer, which is an answer, I'm not saying it's not an answer, and we want to raise good, godly leaders that have an idea and want to actually respond in a real way to the immorality of debt, then get involved. And, 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 and show and voice your outrage. Remember, the loudest voices get heard. Make people be accountable. Barack Obama said if he doesn't get this issue of the debt under control, that he would become a one-term president. I am quoting him. And so I say, okay, that didn't happen, and that didn't happen. <laughs> he didn't get control of it, and he wasn't a one-term president. How did that happen? Even with his own words, the answer is he wasn't held accountable. And we, as the citizenry, this is our role, is to hold our leaders accountable. 
that should have brought been brought back to him as an accountability issue. My friends, this is a moral issue for us. It's for us. It's for our future, for our retirement, for the security of the finances that we've worked for. But it's also for our children who actually inherit the decisions that we make today. Remember the word culture. It's my favorite word. The sum total ways of living passed down from generation to generation. Is this idea of reckless spending and just living for the next election and not holding each other accountable and living irresponsibly and immorally? Is this what we want to pass down from generation to generation? Is this the culture that we're going to stand for? Well, they always take polls of the things that matter to the electorate. And if we keep talking about global warming and 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 some of these other issues and not getting to the matters, the things that matter, like abortion and the way that we teach our children and the national debt. It's always kind of on the list someplace, but it's always low on the list, 9th, 10th, 11th. Well, I'm telling you what, if the electorate starts creating these as number one, two, three issues, guess what? Politicians will listen. They will see it as a priority because they respond to the electorate so that they can become elected. It's simple. We need to get a balanced budget amendment passed and we need to rise up as churches into everything that we were created to be. And I guarantee you that the storehouses of heaven will be opened when his people get it. When his ambassadors say, uh, heaven, we've actually made connection here on this earth. And there is a need that requires finances. Guess what? The storehouses of heaven open because it's an alignment to his will. It's an alignment to what he wants. He's just looking for those people to stand in that place and be a voice for his kingdom. Will you be part of those people? I will. I want to be. So thank you for listening again this week. Talking about money this week, but it's important. I love to hear your feedback. I love to hear any solutions that you have or information or data that you would have that you'd like to share with us. Please go to pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org and leave your comment or question. And you can also leave a donation or any other insight that you might have on this episode or previous episodes. So thank you for joining me again this week. And until next week, let's go together now to set and shape the culture.